You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. We have Brandon Barnes, a real estate investor and owner of REI Live. Um, And uh, REI Live is a really unique platform because it used to be an in-person meetup, but now you went virtual, right? Yes, yes. It's uh, we're doing this thing virtual just to keep it going, and um, it's actually allowed us to be uh, able to bring even um, speakers from further uh, around the nation uh, to come speak because it's uh, just as easy for them to hop on a Zoom call and deliver some great, great content uh, virtually. Yeah, it's been interesting how we all have had to adapt to the situation. I mean, even showing uh, rental units and stuff differently now. So, um, and, and frank, frankly, it's it's gotten easier it has. Um, when it comes to some of that stuff. So, um, but I mean, we're going to be covering a lot of ground here because I know you have a lot of uh, experience in wholesaling, but I wanted to make sure that we kick things right off with everybody knowing how to get a hold of you and learning more about REI Live, um, head over to sendmoreoffers.com. And uh, I also understand you're pretty active on LinkedIn and Facebook. In fact, I think Facebook is probably where you uh, throw out a lot of information regarding REI Live, right? For sure, for sure. Um, you know, everything ultimately boils back down to my landing page, as, as you just mentioned, sendmoreoffers.com. Um, there's the coaching, my social, um, the monthly meetup, but um, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm just excited to talk a little bit more uh, to your folks about my journey, wholesaling, and how I leverage that to get uh, to become a real estate investor and, and, and do a number of things uh, in the real estate space here in Atlanta. Yeah. So let's, let's start things off at the beginning, if you don't mind. Like, how did you get into this whole, this whole wholesaling and, and real estate investing thing? Yeah, man. It was a lot of chance, perfect timing, perfect opportunity, perfect situation um, that came from a bad situation. Um, I always wanted to, you know, I thought that I was going to climb the corporate ladder. My father that i uh, been a CPA and um, ended up working for Coca-Cola for 25 years or so. Um, and so I thought that was going to be my path as well. But I also always wanted to be an entrepreneur from selling candy to cutting grass to doing a number of odd things uh, coming up. Um, so much so that once I got to Purdue University, where I ultimately graduated, um, I took the uh, entrepreneurship certificate program, which was like a 15 credit um, ordeal that allowed me to kind of um, understand what it took to develop a startup company. Um, but it was my idea that I would be able to you know, have some great idea further down the line. Well, that didn't happen that way because upon graduating, I took my first job with the H.J. Hines company in Pittsburgh, met some great friends. Um, and then I was going to rotate to different cities and different positions and come out as a manager. Well, they got bought out after they had moved me to uh, the Quad Cities, which is on the Illinois-Iowa border. Um, mm-hmm. And 
uh, I had to find a local job. So I started working with the Kraft Oskemeyer uh, company. Um, and then they got bought out by the same company. I uh, had an opportunity to move to Atlanta um, because there was an opening at uh, Talenti, which uh, was a gelato company, small gelato company, but they got bought out too, three for three. They got bought out by Unilever. So now they're a Unilever company and I was fired um, two weeks after getting married uh, on 10, 10, 15. And, um, you know, uh, after stumbling around a little bit by December, I reached out to a buddy of mine that I met in Pittsburgh and said, hey, what's that real estate thing you were always talking about when we used to hang out and chill out in Pittsburgh? He was like, man, look, I moved to Atlanta. Come by. I'll share the mentor program with you. We'll do this thing called driving for dollars. We can listen to the content and I'll kind of be, you know, uh, your, your guide into this space. So January 2016, um, I started working with him and kind of the rest is history from there. Mm. So, you know, everybody kind of likes to start or at least likes the concept of wholesaling. That seems to be like the gateway drug when it comes to real estate investing. It's the low-hanging fruit. And, I'd say that. And, and there's like this romanticism around that you're, they're just going to find these deals. You know, it's getting, getting into real estate investing without money out of pocket kind of a thing. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you're shaking your head no already. <laughs> It's not as easy as they as as some people paint it, is it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, there are people that want to call themselves wholesalers that literally are just like scouring the internet and Facebook groups and people's emails, and then try to repackage that deal to their buyers list, and they call themselves wholesalers. That's not wholesaling. Like the the wholesaling, when you boil it down, is the art of finding off-market properties at a discount repeatedly. It, that is it, the core of that. And um, for me, it's always direct to seller. Like if you don't actually hold a contract or an equitable interest in a property, you're not really wholesaling. Like, yeah, we can do a JV deal here or there, but um, it's, it's being able to establish a relationship, get in front of homeowners and, you know, have them agree and you agree together to, um, you know, transact on their property uh, to mm -hmm. go under contract. And that takes resources. Um, it's going to take some amount of money. Um, and, you know, you can, if you don't have a lot of that resource, it's going to take a lot of your time. Um, but, you know, even if you're going to drive for dollars, knock on doors, write letters, you still got to have gas money and postage at at, mm -hmm. at its core, you have to have some level of funds to get going, um, but then also some smarts and a whole lot of effort, grit, determination, and time. Sure. So if somebody's looking to get into wholesaling for that first time, they want to get that first opportunity under contract, where do you think they should direct their attention? Personally, I think that you should start going down to the courthouse immediately. Um, there are great, motivated uh, groups of people um, at the courthouse. Uh, so I would go down, um, I would get familiar with the dispossessory office. So the office that holds evictions and I would get very familiar with the probate office, um, you know, office where people petition to probate the estate of a, a loved one or a colleague, somebody passes that estate has to be, you know, uh, closed out. And if they own real estate, that person who goes down and, and, and does that and petitions for them, 
um, you can reach out to that person to see if they would sell the property as is condition without an agent at the, the price of their choosing. So I would start off, I would start off there. This somebody just asked me that question. If you know, you got dropped out of, uh, you know, dropped into a city, didn't have any, any resources or tools, $500. I would go down to the courthouse and I would get those records that were filed in the last month, month or, month or two months. And then I would just start hand dialing. And if I didn't have a phone, I would just go to the address of the petitioner or the person, um, the plaintiff that filed an eviction. I would go and knock on their door and say, hey, would you consider selling that property um, that you filed an eviction or a probate? That's where I would start. Hey, no, you know, something that really stands out there is that you're doing a task or you're suggesting something that, frankly, a lot of people, that's where things start to fall apart. Um, you know, you're, you're actually talking about going to the court, physically going to the courthouse, collecting this information. Some, some places don't have this stuff online. You actually physically have to go down there. You have to physically start dialing for dollars and or you're even proposing going to the houses directly. A lot of people aren't willing to make that, that step. And frankly, it's those steps and that digging that finds the gold. I mean, you, you really actually have to go through this level of work and detail. Talk about gold. Like, that's real gold. Um, you know, those are some of the highest levels of motivation if you, you're filing an eviction or you're filing or petitioning for probate. Uh, a lot of people do deals and, and the bulk of our deals in my company are absentee owner properties. So there's just tired landlords. That is the bulk of them. But the biggest deals, you know, oftentimes are those probate or, you know, maybe it's an eviction, which they're, they're kind of considered a tired landlord as well. Um, but, um, you know, those are where you know that there is some inherent level of motivation. You know there mm-hmm. is because they just filed um, these uh, these these cases at the uh, civil court. Sure. So you know while we while uh, this seems to be a good spot to just remind everybody if you like to hear or learn more about Brandon and what he offers, especially as REI Live, make sure you head over to sendmoreoffers.com dot uh, com and especially find his Facebook page. Um, because I think that's where most of his information regarding the REI Live is is available. And I understand you get some pretty great speakers at these events, so it's definitely yeah. worth people's time. Yeah, we have some, we've had some, some awesome speakers. Uh, Zach Booth is like the king of driving for dollars. He just was this past month. Uh, we've had Elijah and, and Jennifer that they're like the king and queen of fire damage um, profit. Um, and, and really focus on if, if you have a fire damage prop- property. But um, that that meetup group was something that I took over um, March of 2019. And what it opened up for me was a um, an, an opportunity to be able to help others that wanted to learn about how to get into real estate. And so this whole cinema offers thing is is a it's a coaching program, but it's a philosophy on how we're able to do deals in a consistent manner by without having to go to every property in person. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, where that whole similar offers thing comes from. Um, because we, we, I've, once I started to build my business um, and wanted to remove myself from 
going to every appointment and I was seeing like, you know, if I couldn't get out 10 offers in a week, we weren't going to get any signed contracts. That's, I figured out a way to, um, to, 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 uh, come up with the offer price quickly over the phone to expedite, you know, the, the conversations and the follow-up by keeping our leads in the, in the dialer and then automate the actual offer delivery process through, um, you know, DocuSign and, you know, and, and an automation within our CRM. Um, and, and I packaged that up. Um, and that's, that's how I went from doing six figures in a year to seven figures was just that simple change, putting somebody in that seat and um, starting to only go to the property after it was under contract. That really changed the game for my business. That's how we went from six to seven figures. And that's really what I share with our coaching students these days um, is, is how to send more offers. And it's the whole sendmoreoffers.com. No, so I'm glad that you brought this up because I mean, that this is part of what I had read um, on your site and a few other places regarding offers over appointment strategy. So let's 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 talk about that a little bit because that that's always something that it's almost a mindset thing uh, to yes. try to to get comfortable doing what you're suggesting. So talk talk a little bit about how that that works. Yeah, I, look, I I fought it for a while. Um, my original coach, my original mentors was always about you know go to the property, sit down, belly to belly. This is the best close ratio. You know, talk Build about rapport. Build rapport, talk about everything else under the sun other than the property. So great, great, great rapport. Um, and then when I had a buddy uh, talk about, hey, we were tired of dealing with Podio, tired of being in task hell, tired of, um, you know, um, you know, running to every appointment, especially if they were in like the DMV area. So it was a lot of, you know, travel necessary for everything. Um, and they said, you can do deals without going to these properties. Um, and you know, I, I wasn't a believer until we, I, I put somebody in that seat because what I found out is that they ended up speaking to just so many more people. If we kept them in the dialer, you know, we were already cold calling using like a triple line dialer, mm. uh, like Mojo sales. We, we, in, instead of sending the lead out into like Podio and hand dialing, I just started to group them instead of follow-up call for my acquisition manager. So he's able to power dial all of the leads and have, you know, longer conversations. And that was the big thing. It was, we switched from having like a five, 10 minute conversation to where, you know, you'll sometimes spend 30 minutes on the phone and it's building rapport Mm -hmm. over the phone. Uh, It's a longer conversation. Um, And then I realized the only way that I could make offers without going to the property and seeing the repairs specifically was if I just based my offer off of homes that already sold in the area by looking at the price history and looking at the photos. Um, and so it was those two things. It's a little bit more detailed than that, but it was those, those, those two things or those few things that actually allowed me to transition and put somebody in that seat um, and send over as many offers um, as I could do in three months. He's able to do in a week. Hmm. Um, so it's 50 plus offers each and every week at least. So, so yeah, so, um, you're kind of sidestepping, you know, and, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, you know, as with the whole pandemic and everything, we've been having to be a little bit more imaginative regarding some of this stuff. 
But um, when you're when you're throwing out those offers, so you you get it under contract. I'm just trying to get my mind wrapped around this a little bit. So when you get it under contract, that's when you actually physically send somebody, and then and then is there like a, a renegotiation period at that point if you find other things that you just just doesn't support that what you offered? Yeah, it's rare. It's rare though. And rare is relative. It's out of every five deals, we may have to renegotiate or get a reduction on two. It's it's no it's no different than when I was going to the appointments in person. Mm. Because, you know, I would go to the appointment in person and lock something up on the spot. And then there was times that I still had to go back and re- renegotiate, reduce, or terminate. Mm. Um, but what what happened is we leave, we don't uh, we don't stretch to try to make something work. It has to fit for the most part within our, our, our range. And by not, by not stretching to try to make things work and, and, and making offers with a 20 K margin built in, um, it allows us that buffer room to make a mistake. So um, it's, it was kind of two things that happened simultaneous. Um, I uh, worked with uh, Ty Toback that mentioned, you know, hey, if you expect more bigger deals and you build in a 20K margin or so, you'll start to get bigger deals. You expect bigger deals, you'll get them. But then also, um, it was also that time when we switched to sending the offers without going to the appointment. And that 20K, you know, margin gave us a buffer to where if we did screw something up, we could still pull out a 10K deal. Um, versus, you know, when I started off, it, my, my original coach said, Hey, 10 K all day. If it doesn't, it's not 10 K, you know, it's not a good deal. Um, and that 10 K could evaporate very quickly. Very right. So we put in that 20 K margin and we're still able to do deals without having to renegotiate, you know, reduce, we're not just locking up, you know, locking up deals. Uh, for the heck of it, knowing that we're going back to reduce, that's not how we want to do business. We want to get it right the first time. And we're usually able to do so building in a 20K margin and being very firm on that, um, you know, as we see the numbers when we're doing the evaluation. Sure. So could you talk a little bit about how you calculate your numbers then? Like how does somebody, you know, evaluate this property to make sure that they're, they're making that proper offer? All right. So the the thing that I noticed was there's only three different types of comps when I'm looking out in a map. So call goes live. We're talking to a seller. I can click a Zillow button and it'll populate the map um, of uh, around the subject property. And so I'll draw a circle, stay within all the main roads. Don't go over highways or anything like that. Try to stand within the subdivision. Um, and be within 500 square feet of um, the subject property's square footage. Um, you know, preferably if, you know, I'm looking at a brick ranch, my only comps I want to consider are other brick ranches. Um, but we want, we're looking for like to like. And so when I see what's sold in the area, um, the, the trick is there's usually a sale before the sale. And that tells me what it, a property sold to to the investor that did the work, and we just subtract our margin from that, and that's our mail. Oh, I see. So you're actually doing comps based on possible sellers to other investors. Yes. Oh, I yeah. I seek out the number that an investor bought it at, 
and I subtract 20K from that, and that's my mail, and we anchor below I that. see, I see. Yeah, because where I think a lot of people are were confused, including myself, is that you know, you, you're, you're looking at basically properties on the MLS that have ARV, after repair value for those. Right. And uh, trying to calculate or backtrack from there. So right. we, what you're doing is that makes a lot more sense. The sale before the sale. And, and so there's three types. There's the one that sold to the rehabber that you know, like a year ago, it sold for like 100K less. There's the ones that sold to landlords. Because if you look in Zillow, you'll see the last sale was a $900 a month. And then there's usually a sale prior to that before they fixed it up and rented it. Uh, or sometimes there's, you know, the owner occupied one that it's in a really great neighborhood and it's sold fully furnished. Um, in that case, if my subject property is in a very, very great shape, I'll just subtract the 20 K off of the one sale that happened. If it's sold, like move in ready, really great area. Um, but yes, we're always looking at the sale before the sale. We base our offer price off of what we can assume it's sold to another investor, all things equal sure no that that that's a great tip um you see how really fast you can make those offers like if, if i'm just seeking out that number i can make that offer so fast and on to the next one and get out 10 you know plus each day right right and and um do you feel like when you're when you're talking to these people then do you have to explain your number a little bit like so you can so you can let them do some mental gymnastics to to get themselves down to that number. How does how does that conversation go? Or are you finding that you're doing so many offers that it kind of comes out in the wash? More so, it's for so many offers it comes out in the wash. But it's we you know we're anchoring below that mail right, and and we're trying to work our way up. Um, and of course, I'm not having these conversations um, as much anymore. Really, hardly ever. Acquisition manager is great. He's a former Marine, um, you know, fought in Afghanistan. He actually lives in Mexico for his mental clarity, uh, mental sanity, but he's, he's great. He's a, he's a great on the phone. Um, and I built the script out there for him, which just, um, it's every lead that he speaks to, we're going to warm them up. We're going to ask permission. Um, we're going to um, kind of qualify and diagnose discuss solutions, make the offer, try to get closed and then boomerang. That's our process. And so um, he's, you know, he, he's, you know, putting offers out and saying, Hey, this is based on what I'm seeing sold in your area. And this is based on what I think that, you know, we'll need to do to bring your property up to speed. But um, the one thing I will suggest to all listeners is that you let them know if, if you are in essence, mainly going to be wholesaling, you let them know that that is what you're going to do. So we do tell homeowners that, uh, you know, vast majority of the times we're going to immediately resell your property for profit. We don't pose as the rehabber. Mm -hmm. um, there are some times that we have done, uh, you know, um, minor work, paint, carpet, um, you know, trash it out. Um, and we'll let them know that there are, that we have held a few properties, but it's, it's, you know, 3% of everything that we do. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. so, but we let them know that up front so that it just makes the, the dispositions, the sales process just that much smoother. They understand who's coming to the property to view it when we do do the walkthrough. Um, and they do understand, you know, if we do ultimately assign the property 
that they'll see an assignment fee to us because we sold it to someone else. But we hold their hand. We make sure that they get what they ask for. Um, and we, you know, we handle all of the paperwork. We, we, we make it a speedy, convenient, easy transaction. And that's what they pay us for. Sure. So, um, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm already can tell, and I hope you have a little bit more time because I know we scheduled this for 30 minutes and, and I'm, I'm hugging on that pretty good here already. <laughs> so can I, can I bend your ear a couple, a little bit longer? For sure. So let's, let's change the topic slightly because one of the things that I find when, when people are getting into wholesaling and they ask me questions, the concept of find the deal and the buyers will come. I hear that actually a little too often. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of building your buyers list and where you should start and how, do you, how important do you place that? I, I do place importance on it for sure. Um, but I, what I tell my coaching students is that I do want them to, to find the deal, Mm -hmm. right. And build their buyers list over time. Um, because I think that's the more important skill is, is, is being able to negotiate with the sellers. Um, but I've fortunately built relationships with some very key buyers, uh, over time. Um, I do have a large buyers list. and some of that was from from trading with some folks and and then putting out an email and letting people know who I am. Um, and and now I have an assistant that really focuses on engaging people via social media and building our buyers list each and every week. However, um, I, I place for my students the importance on, on getting the deal and, and buyers will come. But oftentimes I'm usually able to assist them early on, mm. you know, leveraging my buyers list for their deals. Even if they're not in Atlanta, it's, I usually know somebody who's also been in the mentor program that I can connect them with. Um, but you make a very good point. There is um, great relationships to be had. There is money to be made by focusing on building relationships with buyers, um, having a strong buyers list and being able to JV with others. Um, you know, there are, there are people that I know specifically, for instance, like Keegley, um, New Western, Network Acquisitions that are like corporate wholesalers that make a business off of just finding the buyer. Mm-hmm. Millions can be made off of just finding the buyer. So I 100% agree with it that you should definitely focus on your buyers. But I do still tell a lot of my coaching students, hey, if you're in Atlanta specific, especially find the deal, I'll help you with the buyers. Uh, and I want them to focus on finding the sellers first, but you make a yeah. good point. No, well, see that, that is what I was hoping you were going to say actually. Okay. Um, because what you what you just, what you just did was, although people aren't buying or building that buyer's list themselves, they're taking that mind exercise to find somebody to JV or leverage your network within your real estate investing yes. group or somebody who already has that buyer's list. Yes. I mean, there's a, there's an exit for it. I've for just sure. unfortunately have seen people get houses and properties under contract and now they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I yeah. want, you know, it, it's, 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 uh, 
um, and then they're forced to cancel it or something because they're they that's like a mental block. They don't think about asking the comp, quote unquote competition. Right. Um, when it, when it comes to real estate investing, what I found is really interesting compared to all of the other jobs I've ever done is that a majority of the real estate investing community is actually really a community. I, I don't run into a lot of quote unquote competition per se. A lot of people are really willing to help you out and help you find that buyer, you know, or I agree. I agree. It's, it's, it's kind it's, of it's nice. Kind of crazy how when people do talk about small world, it is somewhat a small world. If you're active in your city and you're doing deals, like you will see and run into the same people at some of the same events. And um, it's great to be able to collaborate um, with, uh, with the folks that are in your network or in your yeah. city. So, you know, with some of the strategies that you're incorporating right now, and, and I don't, we probably don't have time and it'd probably be another entire episode, but how uh, have you found that you can do what you're suggesting then with your offers to appointment offers over appointment strategy that you can do a lot of this virtually now and, yes. and wholesale and other markets? Yes. That that's, um, I always get this mixed up. That's the benefit, not the feature. Like, it, like that's the byproduct of, of leading first with the, the offer is that you can do this virtually. I wasn't trying to be, have a virtual, like, you know, virtual, be a virtual wholesaler, but the byproduct of this leading first with the offer um, is that you can do it from anywhere. And so um, even though, uh, you know, majority of the deals that we do are here in Atlanta, you know, they're still virtual, but um, this is our market at the same time. Um, we jumped into Charlotte right before COVID happened and we've had success. We, you know, we, we did close three or four deals. We had about six or seven. Um, but I went on and pulled back out of Charlotte because it was literally, we, we started marketing in Charlotte like February and then COVID happened in March. And so I, I couldn't control the buy side as much. Um, I did leverage network, uh, um, up there, um, but I couldn't control like boots on the ground and stuff like that. So I just went and pulled it back in. Um, but very quickly and immediately, um, within a month, we had had our first contract in a new market, um, by employing the same strategy. So, you know, though I don't promote like, Hey, I'm a virtual wholesaling coach. I, I am, I promote that. Hey, I, I send more offers than the next person. Um, but the, the benefit of that is that it can be virtual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, that virtual wholesaling is always a hot topic and maybe we can, uh, bug you sometime and we can chat yeah, a little yeah. bit more in detail on that sometime. But, um, with that, uh, I, I, you know, uh, it's just been really a great conversation. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, as, as I, just as a reminder, make sure you head over to send, moreoffers.com for more details. Check out REI Live on Facebook for your next event. And um, other than that, is, is there any questions? Is there a question that you wish I would have asked you here today? Um, no, no. I think that, I think that we, got, we got pretty far into kind of the, 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 the beginning and the building. Um, um, what I do place a, a heavy emphasis on and what I am most proud of is the team that I've built. 
um, mm-hmm. because when I talk to people about like what I've done, I remind them that like my my team, my core three are a family and really five. Um, my acquisition manager John, my um, longest cold caller Sharon, my longest assistant uh, Nicole, and then there's Florence and Chelsea as well. Like I would be nothing without them, and um, you know it's it's the team that I built and I work with them. Like not many people have a cold caller that they've had on their team for three plus years. Yeah, that's um, because that's a tough job. It's a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears shed over the years. But you know that's something that you know um, I think that is super important about building teams. So you know that's something that you know maybe on the next conversation we could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, and I would like to talk a little bit uh, too about your marketing strategy because you've leaned into the cold calling a couple times while we're talking on the phone and and. Uh, as everybody is doing yellow letters and banded signs, I'm running into more and more people leveraging cold calling. Mm-hmm. That's and, my bread uh, and butter. And that's uh, that's a whole that's a whole episode too. So, um, <laughs> so with that, rem- remember, I, I I wanted to kind of summarize a few like takeaways while we were while we were on the phone, and if you think of any others that uh, that you can think of, please pipe in. But Sure. Um, one of the fr- the first thing that I think uh, Brandon made it pretty clear, wholesaling has some legwork involved, and you have to get your hands dirty, especially when you're starting out. Uh, listen to Brandon when it comes to getting to the courthouse, driving to properties, cold calling, and and you are going to have some uncomfortable conversations, and um, but. In the end, that's where the gold is, and that's where you really need to, to have that focus and, and eventually at least start making that uncomfortable comfortable. <laughs> it never completely gets comfortable, but uh, you'll, you'll start to get used to it. Um, I really like how you calculate what you're offering for your offers over appointment strategy, looking at that sale before the sale. Mm-hmm. Um, we are so focused on that ARV and what that what that neighborhood can possibly support. But if you're doing these quick offers like you're suggesting, that taking a step back and looking at the, the dollar amounts of the sale before the sale, fantastic. That that okay. is a great takeaway. And if anybody pulls one thing from this show, I'm gonna say it, it's probably that. Right. Um and then uh when we're talking about building that buyer's list, you don't necessarily have to be so focused on building that buyer's list yourself, but look at your local or your real estate community, see who can help you, even if it's a joint venture in some way. Right. Half of a deal or part of a deal is better than no deal. So leverage your network, leverage those people around you, and you'll probably learn quite a bit on the way. Right. For sure. So is anything else that's good? I think you hit it. I think you hit it. That was a good top three. I, I really, really appreciate your time, Brandon. I hope we can chat again sometime. Um, yeah. I think, uh, like I said, we probably could generate another couple episodes just out of some of the topics we, we brushed on here today. For sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back in a few months, maybe um, top of the year, spring. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so be thank you again, sir. We'll talk again. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Jack. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, 
head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated, along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time, and tell a friend.